0: three, two, one. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of Failure Friday, where we talk to friends, clients, and sometimes strangers. I don't think I've had a complete stranger yet, but I aim to have strangers on this show, where we talk about our personal or professional fuck-ups and how they have made us better people, better friends, and just The whole goal here is to help other people and also reflect on our own accomplishments and failures and just share Because social media. It's all about showing people how perfect your life is and how great everything's going. But a lot of us, especially people that have accomplished a lot, it took a lot of mess ups to get here. So I want to shine light on those so that we can educate each other and contribute to the community. And today, we have my very best friend, Megan Lawrence, her corporate job is really fucking boring. She is in management and accounting, so I hope we talk not so much about that, but I guess you can talk about whatever you want. So why don't you start with illustrating to us how you got into your career that is so boring and then jump into how different you are as a person in your personal life.
1: Yeah, so I guess how I got into it, I went to school for accounting and management, because I added that after I realized that accounting was not for me, and because I just wanted to work with people. Well, I realized I wanted to do psychology, and they're like, you'll have to pay for this. And I'm like, I can't do school without soccer. So, um, And then about a year after I graduated, my dad started pressuring me, like, when are you going to use that degree of yours? And so I applied and jumped headfirst into corporate America, and I've been with my company ever since. What's your company? K Force. We are a staffing and recruiting firm. We are in the business of people. So we hire people for other companies and we place them based on their IT or finance and accounting jobs. But I ended up staying internally with K Force and I do business through that part of it. So did you ever think you would be in management? Yes. If I was staying in corporate America, absolutely. Because it does give me that more personable touch. And I ultimately want to work with people. Um, Maybe not so much with accounting, but we'll just start there.
0: Do you see yourself still working for a corporate company in five years?
1: I'd like to say no, but I also said that five years ago. I never thought that I'd still be in corporate America. It's just, I don't know. I think with my corporate job, it's very much one of those, it's easy to get swiped up in that whole like, healthcare, and it pays my bills, and it does that thing, and that. I'm and I'm good at it, and um, yeah, I'm still kind of searching for that, like, I mean, ultimately, my dream is just, like, own a coffee shop, so it's just... I could totally see you doing that. Yeah, I just want to talk to strangers all day. I think that would be just the best job. I could totally see you doing that. Yeah, so that's, like, my retire in the mountains, have a coffee shop, die serving coffee. Such a millennial dream. <laughs> I mean, it's bigger than that. I've like, I've thought of ideas. Like, I have the business name. I bought a website for it like a few years ago. Yeah. What's the name? I can't say that. I'll tell you. I'll tell you off air. Yeah. No, I've looked into that.
0: (laughs) So, what failure do you want to share with us today?
1: Um, So, I've been thinking about that ever since. Like, I've started listening to them, and I was like, "That's the ultimate question, right? Like, what is my failure?" So, I think I've pinned it down to like. My biggest failure is just not trusting myself.
0: Oh, you can't cry already. I
1: don't know why I'm getting emotional. It's, oh,
0: <laughs> the reason she's getting emotional
1: I'm pregnant. is yeah. because
0: she's knocked up, which if you know Megan is a total fucking plot twist. Like no one saw this plot shit twist. coming. So, side note, congratulations to Megan. She's pregnant with a little girl she's due on my birthday, which is absolutely no coincidence because it's... God wanted her to give birth through me in a different form I mean, because it's, we need each other.
1: It's a little stretch, not the due date, but it could be the due date.
0: <laughs> and and full, another full disclosure, I've had two mojitos and this is my third drink, so I am toasted. <laughs> um, okay, what was our original question? Failure, you don't yeah. trust yourself.
1: Yeah, so just never trusting that internal intuitive voice of mine, and I mean it, It does stem all the way back to, like, childhood and just never trusting myself because I was always told things. And so I've always seeked things in people outside of myself to tell me who I am, to lead me in the right direction. And so by doing that, I've made a lot of failures. Okay.
0: When, give us an example of not trusting yourself. Because I think it's natural for everyone, especially as a woman, to have this lack of sense of surety within themselves. I mean, it's just, it's hard to be, you meet very few women and you're like, wow, they know exactly who they are, especially at our age and even younger than that. But when was, give us an example that you refer back to in your childhood, but you're like, that just gives you the cringe feeling.
1: It's hard to pinpoint to one. I mean, A, I don't really remember my childhood, but B, I just always be, I just always remember being told that I was wrong. So I think with, it was just always that voice in the back of my head that made me not trust anything I was deciding because I was always told I was wrong. So it was just hard to kind of make decisions for myself without leaning on something or someone else to be, to kind of validate that. I was always looking for someone else's external validation to be like, okay, yeah, this is what you should do.
0: Do you think that had anything to do with you being an only child?
1: Uh, I mean, it probably has a. You didn't lot. really have
0: like a benchmark.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. I always think about like what my life would have been had I had siblings, or if I had that like other type of emotional support to be like, do you see what's going on here? Like, like kind of like that. Yeah, like
0: someone to be like, this is fucked up, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. So like, I didn't yeah. have that. I had a couple dogs, but you know they can only go so far.
0: Yeah, I agree. R.I.P. Otis. He was the real one. That he was, was her, the OG. That was her original dog. I remember that dog. He always let us sneak out. He'd bark <laughs> a couple times, but then he's like, alright, I see you. I see you in the back. <laughs> okay, so not trusting yourself. How did that perpetrate into adulthood? I remember so it's hard for me to pinpoint that emotion because I've never heard you describe it like that interesting interestingly enough that you didn't trust yourself. But I remember when we kind of separated and we went to different colleges, I went to FSU, she, she went to UT, and I would come back and visit you. You were definitely a totally different version of yourself than when I left. We both were, but I just noticed that it's like, wow, I have never seen a Megan this weak in a way. Yeah. It, it was not weak, maybe not the best word, but you were so tied to other things like alcohol and. Um, going out, which I love to do. I love a good party, but it was like a whole different animal going out with you. It was like, let's get to a different level of sobriety or escape this realm of reality as fast as we possibly can. And it scared me. I remember the first time I came back and I was like, holy shit, <laughs> like, are we trying to die? <laughs> like, is that is Sometimes. that what we're doing? And then it happened again and again and again is that related to the type of feeling
1: so i mean i guess a good way for me to explain like when the foundation of my life started to break apart was so i grew up playing soccer Um, i excelled at it from a young age it was all that i became to know about myself like that was i wrapped my identity around it so in college when i went to soccer and it wasn't playing out the way, it was the first time I ever had a negative coach. And I've always had very positive coaches in my life. So for me to go to college and play a sport and then have someone who just like, literally it felt like their goal was to like bring me down every practice. So it just like, it shattered my ego and it's something that I was good at. I thought I was great at it. And so when that came about, that's when my identity really started to break apart cuz i was what like was i'm not that? the soccer player my sophomore year is when i really oh god, that was junior god it's well so, so hard. my sophomore year i wanted to quit i went home told my parents they were like let's try to do it one more year and i tried to go into it my junior year with like a whole new mentality and i mean i eventually had to be my, my coach said it was a mutual thing but let's i ended up getting kicked off the soccer team because my Just the things that I was doing, I stopped showing up for practices mainly because I was either too fucked up in the morning, either still hammered on drugs in some sense. So like my career with soccer ended and that's when things really started to spiral out of control. Um, But college also too, like that was the first time I was away from my parents. So it was like, God, what is this freedom that I had never experienced before? Okay, wait, so
0: you're saying that the feelings were that you couldn't trust yourself. You're, I've, I've never come to this conclusion before until right now, which is crazy because I've heard the story so many times. So you're, I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound terrible because I'm drunk. I have, I'm just gonna say it. You being addicted to drugs and alcohol is tied to that feeling?
1: Well, the drugs and alcohol definitely helped me become whoever I needed to be in the situation that I was in. So partying became another part of this identity of mine that I excelled at. People liked the fun life of the party, Megan, that I was becoming. So I just went into that. I also, caveat, I'm also an extremist in a sense. Like I never, definitely, I never like resonated with, I'm an alcoholic. I'm just, I was an addict of all things. Like if you were to give me something, I'd be like, shirt, is it going to get me outside of myself? Great, let me take it. You were
0: an it. addict, not of all things. You were an addict of uppers. anything yeah. that made you happy or like you not downers. Like yeah, you, she never was like taking. I don't
1: That's know, I true. I wasn't gonna go out and take like an oxycontin or something, no, but it was Adderall, like Adderall got really bad.
0: It was Adderall. It was alcohol. Cocaine,
1: cocaine started to really start to show its head in my life. Yeah, was there
0: any more than that? those were those the only ones I ever saw.
1: Yeah, those were, like, the three. I mean, I started, you know, like, party drugs, too. I did, I dabbled in Molly for a little bit, and that got weird just because... What, was that an addiction, though? I wouldn't say it was addiction. Adderall and drinking were more, definitely had control over me. It's
0: crazy. I never thought that that was linked. I thought, how I perceived the situation was, you went on the soccer team, you became close friends with girls who were already doing this stuff, and you got physically addicted chemically addicted to these things through that, I never realized that it was linked to something. It was satisfying a part of, of emotionally
1: where you were lacking,
0: which makes a lot more sense now why it continued for so long even after soccer ended.
1: Yeah. So, gosh, where do I go from there? So just more into God,
0: the um, drugs
1: and stuff? I mean, Adderall is based— Adderall is definitely the well, thing that I guess, that when, got,
0: when did you start— when did you realize— that this is a problem, but I'm okay with it right now. And you didn't want to address the problem, but you're like, oh wow, this is this is fun. I'm This is probably not healthy, but I'm gonna roll with it.
1: I will remember the first time that I like probably had a like conscious moment to myself and was like, wow, I probably have a problem. I asked someone like how often they black out. And they said, oh, I can probably count on one hand. And I was like, one hand. Mm-hmm. I can count on one hand, like, this week it's Thursday. Like, I probably blacked out at least three times this week. And that was, How like... How
0: did you do that and play soccer, though? Um, It, didn't, it couldn't have lasted that long. I don't like, know. I college sports is not a fucking joke.
1: Yeah, definitely was not. And, I mean, in the off season, it got a little bit... The like offseason is definitely harder to... Or easier to, you know, party hard. But, I don't know. We were... Like me and my roommates, we were, I don't know, we bounced it pretty well. Like I still had good grades. I still like showed up to soccer practice at that time. Like I was a very like physical athletic person. So I still prided myself into that. And I guess that kind of leads into when soccer started breaking away from my identity. I, when I went hardcore, this was another extremist thing that I got into was I started hardcore weightlifting, which I had never done. Um, I got down to 105 pounds, which is really low for me because I'm 5'10". So I was like 55 pounds underweight. Like it was, I was not healthy. So I I took something that's supposed to be good and positive for you. And I put it into this extreme situation. Like there was just no balance in my life. Everything I did, it had to be all in or all out. And I just, it started to really, yeah.
0: Do you think your parents ever noticed it
1: at any point? I was really good at keeping that a secret from them. Like, I only went home on holidays, and I wouldn't even stay the night. I'd be like, all right, we did the Thanksgiving thing. I'm going to dip. But I never, like, drank around them. So it wasn't No, because it wasn't fun for me to just have, like, one beer. That was not my thing. And I wasn't about to drink 12 in front of my parents and then be like, that's not normal. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. See you guys next I'm going to drive holiday. to Tampa now. <laughs> So, yeah, they had the only time my parents found out is when they had to pick me up from jail.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. You want to fast forward there? That was... But what's crazy about this experience is that even though it's a failure, it was not even the beginning of... Right? That was not the beginning of the
1: I still drank for, like, two and a half years after my DUI. No way. That was two
0: and a half years. You still continued after that?
1: Yeah. Let me tell y'all.
0: Like, that was the first time, like... I think that was the first time I ever screamed at you.
1: Yeah, I I was so I called Kendall mad. from jail knowing she couldn't come pick me up fully knowing no, 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 she no, no. was in no, Tallahassee. That is not
0: get... where the story starts. <laughs> oh wait, no, I'm thinking of okay, I'm thinking of a different experience. Yes, uh-huh. j- I'm thinking of the next thing we gotta get to. Was that the, the next incident? Was that the beginning of the end?
1: The beginning of the end's my like rock bottom rock bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the two D-Y and a half years from now. was me yelling at so
0: I'm in bed, um, and Megan, I get a, Megan calls me in the morning, which she never does. And I remember looking at my phone and being like, I don't want to deal with this right now, because I'm thinking like she's fucked up still from the night before, or like it's her telling me a funny story, and I'm exhausted. I ignore it. but Then you called again. No, oh, it wasn't your name. It was like yeah. a weird number. Yeah, I was about to say yeah, it no, wasn't. It right wasn't your number. It was the jail. <laughs> and I <laughs> oh, would saw you like it? to
1: accept this phone call?
0: Yeah. And I finally answered it the second time you called, and <laughs> it was the fucking jail. And I answered it and you're like, Kendall, I'm in jail. I'm like, yeah. I'm
1: bawling though. You're like, bawling hysterically.
0: You're like, Kendall, I'm in jail. Picture me hysterically crying. I'm like, yeah, I know, I just heard the recording.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and how did it go? I don't even remember, I was having The jail experience? Yeah
1: um well a i struggled through it like you just setting up a phone call was like in and of itself one of the most stressful things like i had to remember a certain word password and like i'm still hammered at this point so you were when you yes. called me yeah oh shit, I didn't know that. yeah it was i mean i blew almost a point three like i was up there fuck were you calling around other people no, I mean I only know you and my mom's phone number. Yeah, I mean,
0: like in the movies, you know they show you like a line of people in orange jumpsuits, and like you're at the, it's your turn at the booth, and you're like, hey yo. What there's you? W- yeah
1: there. Well, there's like it was like a circle of phones, but I only had like two phone calls. It was however much money I had in my w- wallet at the time, so they took like all my change, and at some point they told me I needed to write down phone numbers, but I didn't remember that, so. Well, I did call Shannon, too. She's useless. <laughs> like, <laughs> I never fun. call her anymore. the only time. other
2: number you memorized?
1: Hers, well, it's really easy. Hers, <laughs> yours, and my mom. Yeah, but she wouldn't call her mom. Yeah. And I don't know what she thought 19-year-old me was going to do all the way in Tallahassee.
0: <laughs> so I called my parents, and they were like, you need to call her parents one time before we'll go down and pick her up. I called my dad, and he was like, you need to at least call her parents one time I don't want them to be upset at me if I go and pick up their daughter from jail. I was like, okay, and he was like, let it ring at least twice. I was like, okay, so I called their home phone number because I had it memorized. I think it was 727-398-1335.
1: Yep, which we no longer have, so don't you, try yeah, calling I know, it. <laughs> I know,
0: Wait, right? You don't have it. Yeah, one. we don't have it. I think line. so, I tried it one time. Um, and your mom picked up first fucking ring. Hello? And I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And I told her, and then I can't remember exactly what she said, but I'm pretty sure it was, they was on speakerphone, and then your dad was like, what, what happened? And then I had to explain it to your dad again. And then she was like, well, I'm not going right now. I have to to take a shower and do my makeup. And I just went off, because I was like, I don't even remember what I said. I freaked out on her mom, which was not the correct thing to do. I was just upset because she was fucked up in jail and she has a lot of issues from childhood and I didn't know who else to yell at. But
1: moral of the story,
0: they came and got you from
1: jail, right? They did, second time my dad ever said he was disappointed in me. What was the first time? When I quit track and field. Really? Yeah, because he knew that I was, I could have been good at it. It's like, I hate it, I need a team sport. I did hate that, I was just talking to her name about being a track coach. Too she much anxiety. There much pressure. I don't know how you did it for that long. Yeah, no. Now looking back, it was like mini panic attacks all the time during track. Yeah,
0: no, not my sport. Good for you for giving me <laughs> a go. Okay, so that was, would you say that was your first really big failure?
1: Yeah, that was definitely my first rock bottom where I recognized it as a rock bottom. I was like, all right, something has to change. And I even went through a little period where like I didn't party and, like, I felt guilty when I did and I felt like I couldn't, like, go out and have fun and stuff. So I definitely grounded myself in a sense, so. And to illustrate what happened, how did you go to jail? Why did
0: you go to jail? What was the scenario that took place?
1: I'm outside of it just being a DUI. Yeah, like, how what
0: happened? How'd you get
1: the DUI? Uh, we had gone out partying. Uh, I was definitely very intoxicated. I had already actually made it back to my apartment, uh, decided that I was hungry. (laughs) And we, like where I lived at the time, I lived like right off of South Howard, which if you know anything about Tampa, it's one of the main party strips where all the bars are. And there's cops that sit here under this Publix. And I lived like adjacent to it. They see me, I fall in between the cars and I get in my car. So they're like, that chick's hammered. So they knew going into it that I was drunk. So I didn't stand a chance, but like, I drove perfectly. But they were gonna get me for something. Like I stopped at the stop you sign. get into the car? Yeah, and they just followed me immediately. And they got me for Tennis. a wide, I guess it'd be a wide left turn because my right tire went over the, the line. I didn't
0: know that they were just waiting for you to get in your car. What? Yeah, that?
1: I didn't stand a chance. And everyone was like, why did you blow? And I'm like, I don't know what to do in that situation. You're like I'm terrified. I." already have like a weird authoritarian thing. A cop scares the crap out of me. I still have PTSD with cops. Like, even if there's a median and I see one across the street, I'm like, crap. <laughs> there's a cop. Yeah, I like.
2: Perfectly
0: sober. Yeah,
1: perfectly sober. It's like I, it's like I think I'm like in narcos and there's 10 kilos of coke Can in my remember bag. Do you anything
0: from that, from what happened like when you got pulled over?
1: no i mean i only remember most of it because like watching it back with my lawyer you get the footage from the cop so like you i saw that yeah i bawled through the whole thing oh my god. it was embarrassing like it definitely was a humbling moment for me to be like god i did that like it's i not can, a good angle either. <laughs> it's, it's, his
2: body cam's like right here right yes yeah.
1: so and right but here. it's that too it's that once he gets out of the car but it's him following me from the beginning. That's how I knew I drove good, because, like, I'm watching the video from the second he decides that he's gonna pull me over.
0: So wait, you, from the video, it was a dash cam?
1: It's a dash cam, and then it switches to, like, when it's on him. So it's like a, a continuous running of camera footage from, like, the car to the cop.
0: So the dash cam, like, they're watching you get into your vehicle.
1: No, I don't see that. But like, he immediately gets in his car when he sees me back out. So it basically starts from when I'm pulling out of my apartment.
0: Oh. Yeah. That's crazy,
1: I feel like that's just wrong. Yeah. Why
0: watch someone get in the car and be like, that's the DUI, I'm gonna get. And let her get in her vehicle and start driving and then pull over. Like, Why couldn't you stop me before?
1: Well, it was weird too, because it was raining out. The guy took me to a parking garage so I could do the field sobriety test, which was weird too. Like, So all- you actually
0: got out and tried to do that test?
1: Yeah, I had to do it, can and I f- failed it. No, I mean, no. I think you have to take. It. I seriously, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I can. Re- you can refuse to blow, but I think they have to put you through the test. You After don't you blow. Okay. Some people don't. <laughs> I don't actually the know. My I mean, all I know is that I did it. So I don't know if that's actually, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to like turn it down. I basically was like, okay.
0: So now let's turn this into an educational moment. Someone who has just gotten a DUI or or people who have not gotten a DUI, give us a quick synopsis on what the process is after you get a DUI. They're so common guys. I'm not saying it's right, but I mean, there's been so many times I could have gotten a DUI. I'm just lucky but give us a rundown of the process you have to go through, the cost.
1: Oh, uh, cost of it, it really is just a money thing. Like no matter where you live, it's gonna be easily eight to 12 grand, depending on, you know, lawyer fees, your car insurance. You have to get a lawyer? If you, it depends because in my situation, I blew so high that if I didn't get a lawyer, I probably would have, they would have processed me at the, the rate that I blew. But my lawyer was able to get me down to a lower level, so I never had to have that um, machine in my car. Which, for those of you that don't know, like there are certain machines that they can put in your car if you like have X amount of DUIs, if you blow a certain amount, where like it can literally just go off when you're driving and you have to blow for a continuous 30 seconds, and if you fail it, it tells you your engine's gonna shut down in 30 seconds, and you have that amount of time to pull over. Yeah, like, what? I was so, well, A, because it's expensive, like, you have to pay for someone to come, like, Install put that in it. your car to, like, keep it up to date, so I was just grateful for that because it wasn't another cost that I and had And that's to do.
0: related to how high you blew. Yeah. What is that limit? Is it different by state?
1: Um, for Florida, they had me, they, my lawyer was able to knock me down to below 0. 0.1, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.15 to 0. 0.2, I don't remember. But there was a certain threshold. I want to say 0.15 is where they got me down to, and it was able to save me from that machine. Even though you blew 0.3 on record? 0.27, yeah, so I just rounded up to 0.3, yeah. But how, like, they? so on paper you blew 0.15? Yeah, like in the, I don't know what lawyers do in their lawyer it's magic, weird. but it, it's based on who they know, who you know, who they can talk to, but yeah, that's why paying for a lawyer is helpful in that sense. Okay, so that's a large portion of that cost. Mm-hmm. And then DOI car insurance is expensive. Like your rates, and you have to have it for at least three years, is gonna go up to 400 to $600 a month. And then you have to go see a parole. Is it probation or parole? Parole is pr- probation, because parole is prisons. So I always get that confused, i so sorry. Um, you have to go to a probation officer every month and you basically just hand them a check. Sometimes they drug test you. Um, you. You you hand them a check? Yeah. Do they? Who do they work for? Cause you're paying off a fine essentially. So, and they're the ones who are collecting for the fine. And then I had to go to court mandated therapy, like group therapy to talk about. Was it helpful? I liked that part cause it's the therapy part. Like I like talking to a professional in well, I mean, I guess at the time I didn't. Probably at the time I just saw it as like another cost. Now in my life, not that if I got, which I won't get a DUI because I don't drink, but um, now in my life, the court was like, you should go see a therapist. they would be like, all right, cool, let's talk about some shit. But back in the day, yeah, I probably, I probably didn't do that great at it because I wasn't very introduced to everything that was going on inside of me. I was just like, but that's part of it though. You have to go to that group therapy. Mm-hmm. that's interesting i didn't know that either yeah does that cost uh yeah you have to pay for the therapist so that was about like i don't know 120 a session do you pay for that through your probation officer no that's separate so you're paying
0: therapist Mm -hmm. and then i had to do volunteering okay sorry guys had some technical difficulties there (laughs) um we're gonna pick up right where we left off. And that was us talking about the cost associated with her DUI. And my question before the camera cut off was, did your parents help you with this? Cause you were in school.
1: Yeah, I definitely would not have, I was very grateful for my parents in this moment. Cause without them, I wouldn't have been able to pay for a lawyer. It was the first moment in my life where I was like, I never want to have to depend on them for not to get me out of shitty situations. But just financially, it was a financial turnaround for me because that's when I started working like, and I went into another extremist thing. I had like two to three jobs always. That And that's when kind of soccer started to end. It was right around that time. Um, so I was able to have more jobs. The DUI was stirring soccer still. It was, I got arrested April 21st. I'm pretty sure I, st- I separated from soccer in the beginning of April, so it was right after I got kicked off the team. Terrible timing. Yeah, it wasn't great, but good timing in the sense that I now had a lot more time to work and make money. So I just put a lot of my energy into just making sure that's I was the one who was paying for the probation officer. I was doing. I'm not gonna say. Well, I don't know. I don't wanna. I probably didn't do the car insurance thing right away. I kind of got lucky in the sense that because my car was under my dad's name, if a cop were to run it, it's not gonna say this person had a DUI. So if like you have a DUI and a cop runs your license, they they don't need to prove that you're doing something wrong. They can automatically pull you over from any time after that. So because that was not something that would get run if they run Man Tags, I wasn't really like worried about it. So I will say I probably wasn't like the ethically the most ethical person with getting that. But I did eventually switch because I felt bad. I was like, I'm testing the limits, I'm pushing sure. my luck. Um, and it's, I mean, it was just so expensive. It was like your insurance just goes up automatically, hundreds of dollars. How? So you said three years until that went back yeah. to- Yeah. And that was mostly because yeah. I blew too, though. So like, if you decline blowing, you automatically get your license taken away for a year. And that's why sometimes people say, there's like this fine line of blowing versus not blowing, because it really depends on how much, like knowing in my head how much I drank, I should have denied blowing. It probably would have been an easier process for me in that sense. But I'm not going to be the one to tell you what you should do in a DUI is this. Like, just don't get behind the wheel. It's, just don't. It's way cheaper to get an Uber or have someone pick you was up.
0: Uber around then?
1: Because when I, I Uber was. was not around
0: when I was in college. I remember actually getting in a taxi.
1: I think Uber was more around towards the end of college. So at this time, it wasn't. Because when I was after. bartending and stuff, and I didn't have a car at, for a certain extent of time because of my DUI, it was just easier for me to not have one. I did start taking Ubers, so there was a point where it came into play. It came into play, yeah. But I think it was definitely after the DUI. It's new though. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because that would have been really helpful. I think that would have saved so many people from DUIs. So educational moment. People that have just gotten a DUI, if you're going back into the process, what helpful advice could you give them?
1: Just like they're already in the situation, they have the DUI. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I mean, I don't. Uh, it
0: has to be so overwhelming, especially your first one.
1: It's definitely overwhelming. I mean, you have to take these DUI courses as well. Like it's, uh, so you learn a lot in those. And they say your second DUI actually happens within like the next six months. Like it's usually, I, yeah.
0: Which I thought a lot was of weird. Have multiple DUIs. Yeah,
1: like it's it's usually a thing. And so I was lucky in that sense. I was like, this is not going to happen again. A financially, I just can't afford it. And B I mean, you just, you don't want that on your record. It's so much better to just have someone come pick you up. I know, like, I don't know what it was when it came to drinking and like being somewhere with your car where you're like, no, I have to wake up with it in the morning. Like there's just something. No, that was me too. Yeah, but I think a lot of people go through that, but it's just not worth it. Cause no one thinks they're gonna get caught. But $10,000 later, you're like, shit, I probably should have just taken that $7 Uber. No, for sure. But I'm the same way and I'm guilty. That's why I
0: said I'm lucky because I, and to this day, if, even if I know I'm going to drink, I prefer to have my car, because in my mind I have this false sense of control. Well, I can leave when I want. Like, I like having that. You can still leave when you want when you have an Uber, but it's just like the ability to get in your own vehicle, Yeah, it's not healthy. Um, but I get that, I get what you're coming from. So do you have any helpful, specific tips for someone who's just gotten their first DUI? Something that you wish you would have known or advice you would have given an earlier version of yourself post-DUI?
1: Take it seriously. Like I wish I would have started diving more into like, why am I actually in this situation in the first place? Because yeah, I grounded myself for like a few months after the fact, but I picked up right up on my negative spiraling tendencies and not just everyone. I mean, people get DUIs all the time, but if you're getting a DUI, there is, I don't know, a reason for it. You've got to take those types of instances in life as like, maybe I should slow down and take a look at the choices that I'm making in life. And this was one of those like, I don't know, fate moments. Yes, you don't want this to happen in your life, but it should ultimately be a learning, a deep learning lesson. Like I wouldn't take it back. It taught so, like, it was such a pivotal moment for me. Not that it stopped my drinking, but it definitely, it taught me a lot of things. So. I don't know, pay attention to what, why it's happening and just reevaluate the choices you're making.
0: Do you have any specific, do you remember any specific thoughts that went
1: through your head while you were sitting in jail? Sobering up? I, this is terrible. I always joked, because I'm, I'm kind of covered in tattoos and I always kind of joked that like, if I was in jail, no one's gonna mess with me. I was the biggest baby, like, <laughs> I just wanted to crawl in a hole and die like I was so sad it was just it was such a humbling experience I just felt I just felt like like crumb did anyone talk to you oh my roommate was like the 75 year old prostitute who definitely knew
0: how do you know she's a prostitute she'd tell you yeah her
1: name like her name was something like candy or you like she was someone who like knew the guards and she was like, honey, it's gonna be fine. I'm like, listen, Candy, I don't plan to be back here again. Did you say that to Candy? No, I was like, please stop talking to me. I'm like You depressed. said that to her? I was very kind about it. <laughs> it was like, I am just not in the mood right now, clearly. Like, it, I was crying so hard, it looked like someone took bats to my eyes. <laughs> like, my mugshot is depressing. Like it, it's You can 40. tell that I'm like, I'm I'm feeling bad about myself. Did it pull on, put it on a coffee
0: cup one time.
1: What didn't we do something like that? I think we wanted to, and then I think it was for we your never mom or something. <laughs> yeah, like a before and after picture. We joke about it now, we're so, but we're
0: such oh beautiful. man, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so the DUI happens. Personally, mm. I. Did, I was concerned for you at that point, but I wasn't like concerned, concerned, because in my mind, I had my own bullshit going on. And I, in my mind, Megan was close to her parents. She was a 30-minute drive from her family, if that. And then you had your best friends in college who were dope people, and I'm like, she's safe. She has people that love her. Her parents are right there. She's going through some shit, but she's safe you weren't safe. So you said you went through a period of healing after, but what, at what point did you say, fuck my healing and just kind of plummet down further? Was there a trigger
1: point? I mean, I don't think that it, there was any specific moment. I think I just, enough time had passed where I was like, Okay, I don't have a problem, per se. Like, I probably was out of therapy and whatnot, like... For the DUI? Yeah. How long did that therapy last,
0: post-DUI? Uh,
1: 12 weeks? Yeah, yeah. not long at all. Yeah. And it was every week, so three months. Okay, wow.
0: Okay, and then that's when things... So the therapy was actually kind of helpful for you then, because you're, you're saying that after that ended...
1: Yeah, then it... Yeah, definitely. I I wanted to put on a persona, like I definitely was trying to make it seem like this isn't my everyday life. Like I'm pretty. They bought into it pretty well. Like I I pretty sure I was told by someone like I know this has got to be like you know a a freak thing that happened in your life. I'm like, yep, yeah, I this is never nothing bad. I don't do anything bad. Like I'm a good girl. Yeah.
0: Bad <laughs> yeah. things happen to. Yeah. Okay. What role did the people around you play in enabling this behavior, if at all? Or did you truly just have, like, everyone fooled that you were fine?
1: I don't think anyone around me knew the emotional extent of what I was going through. I mean, hell, I didn't think—I don't think I knew what I was going through emotionally, what I was running from. Um— I just thought that it was fun to go out and be the life of the party and we were the life of the party. Like we ate that shit up and it enabled me in the sense that like the people around me were truly just, they were having a good time. They weren't necessarily running from any type of demons or childhood or anything like that. I mean a few years down the road I start to gather the results of why I was doing the things that I was doing. but. Nobody, not even myself, knew the extent of that. I just thought it was normal. Like it just becomes normal after a while. Like this is our Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, <laughs> <laughs> Sunday. You know, Sunday Sunday. Fun day. Like it just. Oh, I remember. You Mondays me. were That's our chill time. nights. We'd have, we'd stay in and drink instead of go out and drink.
0: So the time that I came down, I want to say it was like fourth of July.
1: Yeah, that was, was that, 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 that was before a couple years. DUI. That was. Because that 4th of July was close to when I got sober because I got sober August 10th of 2015 and that July 4th was in the same year. Okay. That was the first time I realized something was wrong with her. Yeah. That That was was
0: bad. I came down for 4th of July. I think we went to
1: the beach. Yeah, we went to like PCI, I think. I don't know what PCI is. Postcard Inn. It's like that popular St. Pete bar. Okay, we went to PCI. And
0: I remember, you were just like drinking gin, like you grew up just on straight the up quarters. out of a flask. And gin for the win was my saying. That was terrifying because so I was like, oh, we don't have a chaser, like we need to go Seven Eleven and I get like some Sprite. You're like, we don't need
1: no fucking chaser, <laughs> my Mama,
0: save Pete, bitch. And then she just started uh. chugging gin, and I was like, oh shit,
1: she. I think you drove. Someone drove. Maybe it wasn't you. I your drove truck. us back. I remember you drove us yeah. back. Stopped at the gas station to get you guys like four locos though too. I might have gotten one. Yeah, I she drove us back. It wasn't your car because I for some
0: reason I remember yeah, it, not it wasn't being your vehicle. Anyway, she's trashed. I'm like half drunk, but I'm trusting her judgment because it's Megan.
1: <laughs> and she's driving us
0: back and we're going over a bridge. And I remember you swerving so bad. I'm scared for my life. And I, I'm looking behind me like, we, this is not safe. And everyone's like, she's fine. And I was like, this is not fine. But we continue. We stop at the gas station. The party continues later that night onto South Howard. And Megan's getting drunker and I'm getting more scared. So I stopped drinking. But I'm getting mad at her because Megan starts running from me. I don't know the people we're around, like she has her good friends from college, but I don't know these people and she's getting progressively drunk. People are everywhere on South Howard and she sees, I I feel like you saw that I was trying to like make sure you were okay or maybe mother you and she would just like straight up sprint and she's pretty fast at this point still. You would sprint away from me like to another bar and I'm just like alone in South Howard. Somehow you end up at an apartment Or you fall asleep on the floor. I don't remember. It was bad. And I remember talking to your friends and being like, is this normal for her? And she goes, and they all said yes, like this is Megan, like this is what she does. She gets trashed, she blacks out, and she runs away, and then we see her like eight to twelve hours later, and she just comes home and she's fine. (laughs) And that's when I realized that something was wrong. Now. At that point, did you internally, when you're sober, know that something was not okay?
1: When I'm sober at that point? Yes, at this point in time. Um, Well, I started to because things, like, more serious things started happening. So, like, another part of my life, too, extremist-wise, I was always in terrible, I won't even call them relationships because that's not what they were. I was just with people who were reflecting the same type of, dark energy that i had inside of me so i like resonated with them and they were just not good for me they enabled me they had their own problems of for themselves it just was not good and i think like around that time it was after fourth of july i'm not gonna say his name but you know um who i was involved with at that time um i remember we got a it was at PCI, actually. We went there, it was like, no, it must've been like, what's the holiday? Maybe it wasn't a holiday. I was a bartender, so I had weird days off. So it didn't, it wasn't a holiday, it was just like, that was my day off from bartending. We went and got a place, um, day drank all day long, and then went back into our place, condo. I slipped and I cracked my head open so bad that I was like gushing blood. And I was like laughing about it, like cracking up hysterically. Yeah, sent me
2: pictures. It was like,
1: yeah, it was weird. I mean, mind you, it was probably a lot, a lot of blood too, because like I was really intoxicated. and It was a lot thinner, but still, like cracked my head open. A couple days later, I mean, that was like a three- or four-day bender. I remember like coming back to reality and being like, that's not a normal situation. I think that was within like a month before I got sober. Okay, so that is the
0: that was the first time, I didn't know this either, so that was the first time you're like, okay, shit's awry.
1: Yeah, like accidents like that were happening where it was like, this isn't a normal level of drinking. Like I know, I knew that I was pushing the limit. It didn't mean that I was stopping, but like there was a part of me that was like starting to realize like, okay, like you probably should reevaluate this kind of so stuff. So
0: nobody else, out of your circle has taken you aside and been like, not hey, once. Are you okay? No. So I think something valuable for someone in a similar situation would be, "Are people?" once you have that moment of clarity where you're like, okay, I'm not ready to address this yet, but something's not okay. And I'm, I know in the future, I'm probably going to have to address this. I think at that point, would it be helpful to take a look at the people around you and see if
1: anyone has said anything? I think it's hard for me to say that because you're not hiding it it at that point. It's hard for me to answer that because the people that I'm also surrounded with are, like, great people. Like, they still all have, like, yes, they're hardcore partiers, but they all had a really good head on their shoulders. Like, I just don't think that they understood why I was doing the things that I was doing, so I can't, like, I can't fault them in that sense. I don't know, it's weird. Like, maybe I'm justifying it, but, like, I'm still best friends with two of those people today. Like, it's... And they're doing very well for themselves. Like, I just...
0: But did they see that side of you where you're, like, hurting? You're, like, falling and hitting your head consistently on a regular That was basis? more,
1: like, the partners saw mm-hmm. me in that level, but they certainly weren't telling me anything was wrong because they, too, were, you know, in their own ish yeah damn
0: okay so then we're getting to the point now where you're having these issues and these issues are still emotional there's no outside
1: triggers really or is there it sounds like soccer was a trigger because you're like soccer shattered my foundation of like who i was as a person so like that's when i was like just latching on to anything where i was like okay who am i really okay that's one way
0: to look at it but so that also has to deal with not trusting yourself as well yeah because you're not trusting that you're someone of value that you have a true identity you don't Mm -hmm. know who you are yeah okay how skipping forward over the grand finale um what helped you find that today Wait, which part? I guess. What helps you find your
1: identity? What helps you get over that? I mean, I've done so much work since, I mean, I feel like we have to go through the rock bottom and then into the healing process as to where, because it wasn't until my healing process that I really started to like ground myself and realize that why all of these things, why I was acting out the way that I was.
0: Well, you walk me through the, the rock bottom because my perception only comes after you did what you did. Like, we've never even really gone into the real details of it because I just, I don't like talking about it, really. Yeah. Um, but you can walk me through the beginning.
1: So, I had just started my job that I still have today, but I had that job. Oh, my God, really? Yeah, I had that job for less than 30 days. I didn't know Maybe, this. Yeah, which is weird because I was always, like, very good at separating my work life from my party life because mm-hmm. very good. Making, like... Making the ends meet and like having money for myself was very important. I mean, it's how I was able to drink. As I mean, God, looking back now, I'm like, how did I afford it? Like, I make way more now than I ever did back then. And I, you would you'd f- spend so
0: much freaking money when we would go out. Well, it
1: helped knowing like every bartender though. Like it I still saw your bills. Is. Yeah. Like they would be like 80 bucks at a bar. <laughs> So so it was weird for me to go out this one sunday night essentially when i had this corporate job i just that was like the one part of me where i was like starting to kind of get it together but i i knew something was going to have to give like if i was still going to work 7 years later like i am today and waking up with hangovers and stuff i mean there's no way i would have lasted like i would have been fired within the first probably year Like I just was a different person. So I I do credit K Force. I've always said like I kinda got sober through K Force because they they kept me on after my rock bottom. Like Do you know about that? I I mean, I've never flat out told them like what my rock bottom is, but But they know you guys. If they've read like my if they've read anything that I've written online, then they know what my rock bottom is. (laughs) They probably have. So at the time, I told him I was just drugged and I needed like to recover for a couple days, is what I told them. Um, And it was enough to, I mean, I was out of work for four days and I was like, I've got to go back. Like they're gonna fire me if I don't. So I guess do we just jump into? I I guess you walk
0: me through
1: what happened that day that made you go out and then what led to that that you can remember. So I got off of work on a Sunday. it wasn't it was not football season yet so it was just like a regular sunday of working you're still bartending
0: yeah and working okay yeah
1: because i was like this is nice good side money i was going to try to keep it going for as long as i could um so it was just a regular sunday and i got off of work started just a couple beers and then it just escalated like i made another like, weird life decision. There was these strangers I had met at a bar. They were going back to their place, so I've never met them before. Going back to their place to do some blow. And I was like, this will sober me up. So I went back with strangers to do cocaine. That could have been anything. Went back out after that, and that just like, I don't know, made my decisions even worse. And then I was pursuing Did you meet someone out? Um, yeah, like people who had already gotten off from, like other people that I was working with. Um, but then again, all the local bars, like Tampa's a big city, but it's also not. Like you kind of know everyone if you're in that hospitality scene. So like I could go to any bar and just like, all right, I know like 10 people here. So it was easy. But I also, yeah, I had a couple of people that I was working with that met me out they were keeping it chill. I mean, I thought I was chill at the time. And then the guy who I was talking, who I cracked my head open with, I pursued him. He was in St. Pete. So I drove over the bridge and he, he, I'm pretty sure he told me like, don't come. Like he was one of the, he, he was very flat out honest. Like, I'm not good for you. Stop trying to like pursue this. And I just kept pushing it and I shouldn't have like, that was on me. Like, I fully I, that. I full take responsibility for, like that. yeah. It's comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I drive to St. Pete. He's not giving me that attention that I want. And so I just start chugging. Like, I'm just drinking gin. And then at some point, I decide, like, I don't know, there must have been a moment in that decision-making where I was like, this is not how I want to live. So yeah, I drove back over the bridge. We had just moved out of our house um, because my roommates, they were going on to their separate ways. So like, I still had the key to this house. Like, I think we literally had moved out like the previous week, but I still hadn't given the key to the homeowner. So we go there, there's like an abandoned couch there. And that's when- Your abandoned couch. uh, Yeah, (laughs) there's like one couch in there. um, And that is, I mean it, it feels weird. I drove before I went to that house, I drove to a convenience store, I bottled I bought a bottle of Tylenol Extra Strength and I decided to swallow the whole thing. You remember all that? I remember waking up with the Walgreens receipt next to me. Just Tylenol. And just Tylenol.
0: Oh, it's not funny, but I don't mm-hmm. I don't know any of this. Because I've never we've never attacked you've never told me this.
1: Yeah, and well I'm not gonna give people never mind. Not gonna give people advice on, but Tylenol—you can't OD on Tylenol. It's like my nurse friend told me. No, I feel like yeah, you can't though. No, it's like your body will reject it after a certain amount. Well, that's that's good to know because I do take a lot of
0: Tylenol. I get really bad headaches. It's like the only thing that works for me.
1: I mean, you can completely have liver failure. Like it's it damages organs and stuff, but. Um, It's not like you taking a bottle of prescribed pills or something like that, but I I didn't have that. Luckily, luckily. So what's the next, so you, you don't remember taking it, but what's the next memory you have? The next memory I have is my dad banging on that door. Me, like waking up in a panic, I had puked everywhere and you can see like tons of Tylenol pills within my puke. Um, and scraping that up because I know he knows that I, he knows that I'm in there. My car's out front. Um, and he had just like this epiphany moment. I hadn't returned because I was temporarily like I've, we had just moved out of that house. So I was like, instead of like, while I was figuring it out, I was at my parents' house, which then turned into later, I call it blue collar rehab. I just lived with my parents for a little bit, which in hindsight may not have, it helped, but it also, like, you can't get healthy in the environment that made you sick. I always liked that. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, so eventually I didn't need to get out of that, but it, it kept me on the straight and narrow. Like, it was what I needed. So, yeah, my memory, my dad knocking on the door, me trying to swipe up the just disastrous mistake that I had made and try to clean it up and, I don't know, come up with a story really quick. My dad... Not, like, yelling at me, per se, but he knows that something's up. Like, Did you open the door? Did he kick it in? He wouldn't have been able to kick it in. That thing had, like, really thick deadbolts. That you had locked? Yeah, I locked that door. Um, I opened it, let him in. He, like, took a look around, knew something was kind of off, um, and then drove me home and was like, if you have a problem, you need to, like, let me know. He's being way more stern in this voice. And I'm just, like, out of it. I mean... <laughs> My body's trying to like figure out what it is. I mean, I was just gonna go home and sleep it off. Thank God I didn't. My mom was like, I mean, and I came up with that whole story. I told them I was drugged, I was feeling off. Um, My mom was like, we, I think I wanna take you to the hospital to get checked out. Ended up getting my stomach like pumped and everything. Like if I had just tried to sleep it off. Okay, wait, so you went to the hospital with the same story? Yeah they didn't,
0: when they pumped her stomach, they didn't see a ton of Tylenol and be like, yeah, this doesn't make sense.
1: Uh, I think the doctors knew, um, but it was really weird too, because I mean, usually if you go to the hospital for a suicide attempt, they can Baker Act you, especially in Florida. Do. Yeah, and I was like, I'm grateful that they didn't. I, I don't know, at that time, I was just like, I need to get back to work. Like, I don't have time for this. Like just kind of pushing off, literally I the did darkness.
0: Not know this?
1: Yeah. Like it was, it was obvious too. Like when I was leaving the hospital, I was taking my hair out. Like three Tylenol pills fell out. Like they were just from like puking to the side. So your
0: parents didn't know this at the time?
1: Mm-hmm. Wait. Okay. No, this they definitely didn't know it was a this suicide is attempt. They made me question everything
0: <sighs> that I thought about the story.
1: Okay, they did not... When did they find out? Uh, probably, like, through my writings. I don't think I actually told them, like, yeah, I was trying to, like, off myself. Are you kidding
0: me? How
1: long (laughs) after were you writing about it? Uh, a year at least. Because I knew
0: very soon after.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would... But I'm not good at talking to my parents about that kind of stuff. Like, I didn't trust them with my emotional state ever, so, like, why would I tell them that? Have you guys ever talked about this? Um, not really. Our family's not very good at addressing the elephant in the room.
0: Holy shit, (laughs) I did not know you guys had not talked about this. They
1: just know I'm better now, and that's what is important to them.
0: Oh my god, this is fucking (laughs) crazy. This is fucking crazy. Okay, here's the story from my perspective. So... (laughs) We've had this running joke that for whatever fucking reason, I'm her emergency contact when shit goes down. And I never asked to be her emergency contact and I never wanted to be her emergency contact. But I will say for people that are watching this and who want to learn from the situation, I do think it is always, no matter what you're going through, to have at least one friend who can be your emergency contact for situations like this. you I mean, I'm not saying that I'm any better than any of her other friends at all, but I will say that it's just important, like she would be my friend that I would put as emergency contact because even though she's going through shit, she's not gonna let me go through shit. It's like, how, I guess it would be like an accountability partner. But honestly, like we're probably the most unqualified accountability partners for ourselves, but given- I mean, definitely no at that time in my life, but nowadays I think I'm pretty accountable. Now, yeah, nowadays, yeah. But at this time, it was just like after jail. And whenever shit was wrong, her parents would call me or she would call me. This is how it went. And I was fucking hot after this. She, I'm at my first big girl job out of college. I'm working at a huge corporate financial firm, their home office in St. Pete. And I had just interviewed for a promotion and I didn't get it. And I was really upset and I was really pissed. And I went back to a job that I hated after the interview. They hadn't told me I hadn't gotten it yet, but based the interview did not go how I wanted to go, and I knew I wasn't gonna get it, and I was pissed. I go back and I see that I have missed calls from your mom, and that's never good. Like her, it's not like her mom and I are like BFFs. It's she's calling me because something's wrong. So I don't answer. She calls again, and this is the fifth time. So I go into the bathroom, and I answer. I go, what's wrong? And she goes, have you heard Ooh. from Megan? And I'm like, no, I haven't heard from Megan. Anymore. What day was this? What day would this have been? This would have been Monday. Because yeah. it was a Sunday night though. Yeah, it was a Monday. And I was like, no, it's Monday. Like, why would I have heard from Megan when I'm at work? And she was like, we haven't heard from her and we think something's wrong. And her voice is trembling. And she goes, can you talk? To, can you call Jeff? He's on the way to go look for her. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. So I call her dad. And he answers the phone and his voice is trembling. And he, I'm like, where are you? And he's like, I'm outside of Megan's house. I was like, well, I don't think she lives there anymore. I don't know why you would look there. He was like, her car's here. And immediately my oh God. Immediately my stomach sank. And I was like, okay, is she there? He was like, Kendall, I feel like I'm going to go into this house and find my daughter's body. And I was like, don't say that. And he was like, I just have a feeling that I'm gonna find her body in there. And I was like, go knock on the door. And he goes to knock on the door and then he hangs up. And then I think you call me like a day later
2: (laughs) and you tell me that you tried to kill yourself. And I just remember fucking yelling at you because I was so fucking mad that you kept putting yourself in these positions where you just, you felt like shit and you didn't value yourself. I did. I could not understand how you could not value yourself because even though everyone has their own fucking trauma, I just couldn't understand how you had so many people, me included, that loved you and you still could not find the strength to get your shit together. And I just, I didn't get it. And I think now that you've found a way to move forward from that. It's so important to share with other people that it doesn't matter if you have amazing people around you. It doesn't matter if you have a good job. It matters about how you feel. And you have to, if you know that something's off, you have an obligation, not only to yourself, but to the people around you that love you to fix that shit. So at what point in your recovery, I mean, this is the rock bottom we're talking about. And clearly we've never processed it because I had no idea half the shit that she's just said in here. And I would say I'm the closest per she's the closest person for me that I have in my life. Um, I just can't believe you know, your parents have never heard that story. And now they're probably going to watch this and fucking sorry, Kelly and Jeff, but here you go. Exclusive interview. How your daughter (laughs) tried to fucking kill herself. You don't have to hear it through a poem. Um, What did you...
0: Okay, so this happens. What is the first point of healing that you took? Like, walk me
1: through the recovery process from that. Oh. Um, well, at that time, I still hadn't decided that I was going to stop drinking. I think that we had, like, talked about it, and I was like, I well, think no, I'm going to take talked, off a year. I yelled
0: at you, and I, we didn't talk again for, like, a month.
1: Really? See, I don't... I feel like that time of my life is kind of like a blur. Like, I feel like it, I was just processing a lot. Like, I knew I had really fucked up. I knew I had wanted to change something in my life, but I also had no idea of how what that was going to look like. I was now back at my parents' house, which, I mean, no one wants to have to be forced to live back at their parents' house, especially That's if awful. it's not, like, what they want to do. So cool. even though I was grateful for it, like, it did it did help me get on the right path. But at that time, I didn't know that it was going to be the last time that I had a drink. Because then when I, I know when we did talk, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to take off, like, I'm going to at least do like a year of no drink here. Like, yeah, I think that's, like, obviously.
0: Okay, yes. But, okay, another thing Megan tends to do, and you did this before you were sober, is she would do these, like, 30 days no of this. Like, 30 days no ketchup. 30 days no smoking weed. 30 days (laughs) no drinking. 30 days no fucking carbs. And it's just... She would do it, and I remember us talking. You would do it just to like prove to yourself: if you can do this, yeah. you're not really addicted to it. You don't really need it. And
1: day thirty-one was like making Every up for thirty fucking days. Time.
0: Every time, yeah. And I think the Fourth of July was after one of those thirty-day things that you did. Could have been
1: because I did that one a few times. I did the no drinking one like at least three or four shit times. Shit faced on yeah, day thirty-one then I would it go was on terrifying. like a bender. Anyway, so going back to what you're saying. This healing. So thing. the healing process, like, I don't think that Stop I- Stop calling me. My husband's calling
0: me. It's just <laughs> this is clearly more important. More
1: that vortex. Um, I don't think at that time I knew what that healing journey looked like for me. I think I was just taking a break from, I don't know, I was removing certain connections and relationships in my life, and I was definitely doing a deep reevaluation.
0: Okay, so that's the first step. What, how did you choose who to remove from your life?
1: Not who specifically, but how did you choose? Um, It, I don't, it was not necessarily like a choice. Like, those people that were bad for me naturally fell out of my life because we no longer had anything to bond over. Like, I realized that so many of the friendships that I thought I had were purely built on a toxic bond. And the second that I removed those toxic things from my life, they no longer had anything to relate to me on. And it was, my sobriety was then a challenge to them as people, because it's like, it then forced them to kind of look at, well, what's wrong with me then? And people don't like that if they're not ready to, to look at it. And I mean, I I wasn't necessarily ready to look at it until literally I got to a point where, I mean, if there's a worse rock bottom for me than that, I don't know what it could be. Like it was literally a life or death situation. So I just, there's nothing worse to me than that. Like there's nothing from drinking gave me benefit in my life. Like there was never a night of drinking where I was like, you know what? I am a much better person because of that situation. Like never. Did anyone else know about it right after? Like, who else did you tell? About, like, like it what actually, actually, what happened. it was? I mean, probably just you. Um, a good, a friend, Ashley, at the time, we're no longer friends, because um, she was very much one of those people who, you know, you just quickly separate from once your paths go very drastic different ways. What, what did she say? Like, what did you get a different reaction from her? Like, she, uh, she was supportive because I think she also, I think we had bonded over, like, an emotional um, disconnect from ourselves, so I think she did understand me on that deeper level. I think she also had her own mental health issues, so it was easy for her to, like, look at me and be like, I feel empathy for you, like, I know, what you're going through right now. And I think that, so she was someone that I confided in. It's not that she's a bad person now, it's just yeah. we do different things. I think she lives somewhere else as well. Like I wish her well, but. Yeah, no, I, I mean,
0: it's just interesting that I didn't know I was one of the only people you told either. I thought I thought that you went through the Rolodex of your inner circle
1: or outer inner circle and were like,
0: all right. I know I have to make changes. These people are not going to gel with the new version of me that I have to invest in, Mm -hmm. so they must go. But it really just happened more, not because you
1: wanted it to. People just stopped calling and texting. Yeah, like it just kind of happened naturally. But um, I mean, I'm grateful for that. I mean, you should be, yeah. They were very temporary people in my life, and you see that now. I mean, if you were to remove drinking from your life, you will real, if drinking is a huge part of your life, not like a, you have a beer every once in a while, um, but if drinking is a huge part of your social life and you just stop out of nowhere, it's, it's jarring how many people actually will just fall out because that is the bond that you have. It's just, it's purely a social drinking thing. Okay,
0: so what is the first intentional thing that you did to invest in your sobriety?
1: Um, I did try AA, and that lasted about three months before I was like, I'm just not vibing with it. It wasn't my thing. I respect everyone who goes that route, but I'm also not a very uh, religious person. I consider myself more spiritual. Um, And I just thought it was very like, I don't know. I just thought a lot of people were using that as like, if I didn't have AA, then I wouldn't have my sobriety. And I'm like, really? like. This is the only thing keeping you sober? Like, I just didn't like that mindset because then you're still kind of using something outside of yourself to stay healthy. Even though it worked for them. It just did work for you. Yeah. yeah, and that's how I interpreted it. So that's not to say that that's everyone's interpretation. That was just what I took away from it. And maybe I just went to the wrong... I mean, there's so many different types of AA... Groupings and I didn't maybe, know that. Yeah, like there's different styles. There's more of like bigger scenarios. There's more of like that, you know, what you see in movies where you're sitting more in like in a circle and it's kind of like a close knit. I never tried that. That might have been more my style, mm-hmm. um, but it just didn't work for me. So I would, but I mean, I appreciated going like I learned a lot through people's stories and stuff. It just it didn't have enough to keep me going.
0: Did the did AA not working for you derail you a little bit or set you back? Kind of feeling
1: like this failed. Um, no, not really. Because I mean, I was like I said, I'm I'm definitely an all in or out type of person. So when I made and that's I mean that's not to say people like slip up and have drinks um, when they decide to become sober. But because I was so set in my like, I literally tried to end it. Like I, I'm i just not even going to flirt with that as an option. So sobriety to me and removing that from my life was like the only option. So I was just going to find my own mode of AA, whatever that looked like for me. So that became talk therapy. When I moved away and went to Jacksonville um, and came and lived here for a couple years, that was huge in my, healing just because it was the first time that I had ever truly been with myself. Like, when I think about it, I had always wow. lived with my parents. I always had roommates. I always was a part of a team. But then when I was, I mean, and you were here and stuff, but like I was in my own apartment. I learned a lot about my own like neuroticisms and like how I interact with myself in silence. You had a dog. I did, a dog really helped. Having Pele was like, that was like timing when Sierra was like, I need someone to adopt Pele. At first, I was like against it, but that was the greatest thing that I could have done. So, okay, that could be a helpful piece of advice. Maybe if you're alone,
0: because I think being alone might not be the best decision for everyone. Some yeah. people might need that accountability partner. Yeah.
1: So, you definitely we would consider Pele a support animal. Yeah. That was also two years after I had lived in my blue collar rehab situation.
0: Oh yeah, tell us more about that. So blue collar rehab is her living with her parents, you went over that. Mm-hmm. How was that helpful and how was it not specifically?
1: Um, it was helpful in the sense that like I definitely had to, you know, go back to that like, what are you doing tonight? Like it, it was not that I was asking for permission to do things, I think that they were still, they knew that I was a, you know, I was a grown ass woman, I can make decisions. I think that they knew I was in a point in my life where like I knew, they knew I had fucked up and I knew that too. So, but they didn't know how you'd fucked up. Yeah, so maybe that's why it was a little bit more, you know, less restrictive, Mm -hmm. I guess. But like, I also wasn't like doing much either. I was just kind of like, I oh, don't know, I was there. I was just kind of going through the motions. I wonder if they knew that you were lying. I don't know, I I, you know, I think a lot of me, they like to believe what makes them comfortable. And I think, I mean, I think a lot of parents might be that way, I'm not sure. But in my Probably. experience, it's, it's easier to, you know, ignorance is bliss in certain situations. It's, it was a shameful thing. I think that's why I also didn't tell a lot of people. I mean, it's not like, exciting news you know like I'm gonna you know like that's not something you want to share it 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 took me a long time to admit to myself that that is what my intention was yeah
0: I remember you telling me but not wanting you wouldn't use the word like kill myself you just you literally told me well I took I took a bunch of Tylenol I was like did you try to kill yourself you were like no I don't think so I was like what do you mean you don't think so yeah. And you were, you like wouldn't, you were like acknowledging skirting it, but around you weren't acknowledging it. And I was like, are you, okay, but this just makes like more sense. just like in denial, this makes more sense now that we're going through it. Okay. So you move in with mom and dad, which was already the plan before that.
1: Yeah, but it definitely, my plan to move in there was just because like, I hadn't figured out like my own apartment yet. Like it was a very temporary situation, which turned into like a two year thing.
0: Did you do anything else like journaling? Did you start therapy? Like what were some of those tools?
1: Well, I had already had my writing page. So I've always had this like writing page on Instagram. And if you were to like go all the way back to the beginning, and I did at some point, like I look back at some of the things I was writing and I'm like, it's very clear. Like I'm, I was very sad. Like there was a lot of pieces that I would share where I'm like, that's dark like it's it's like in writing and it's just like god in hindsight i look back and i'm just like yep the proof was definitely in the pudding i just was so far removed from like i was very good at processing my emotions on paper but it was like a different part of me i don't know it was like a my instagram became like this not a persona because it very much was me like it was coming from a deep, dark place, but it wasn't something that I was, like, actually analyzing myself emotionally. So those are all still up on your Instagram? Yeah. Wow. So writing definitely was a cathartic part of my healing journey. I mean, it's kind of, it's definitely slowed down now. Like, I don't really write as much. I think it definitely was a... It had a place. It had a place. It was definitely a phase. I had to get certain truths out of me, and it was... I mean, it was healing for a lot of other people too. Like it kept me going too, because I mean, I would get messages all the time of like, what you're writing really speaks to me. It really helps me heal. And like that, I loved that. I liked that someone was listening and that it was actually resonating. Because to me, I was like, this is just a sad girl's diary online. And then when when I stopped drinking and became sober, it became all about healing. So my writing completely changed, like I reevaluated how it was. It just, yeah, I was no longer, not that I wasn't like, it wasn't sad in some times, it was just a different kind of truth that was being released. Yeah, I remember that, that was Healing Hopefuls, right? That's when I, and then my blog was created. And then that's when I started writing pieces about like codependency and addiction and just like running from yourself and healing tools that were helping me at the time, like journaling for sure, yoga's really, yoga was a huge part. I still love yoga, like I love hot yoga, so I can't really do it right now, that's a bummer, because the pregnancy and whatnot. Um, But that was a huge part of me moving things, like I believe moving your body is such a cathartic way of moving emotions that you just, you don't think about until you actually do it, but yoga is, it it releases so much. Um, Gosh, what's another, just being active, like, I was never good at meditating, but I also think that meditating is like, whatever helps you zone out is a form of meditation. You don't need to necessarily sit on a pillow and you know count your breaths for it to be considered meditation. I consider journaling meditation, I consider yoga meditation, hiking. Anything that like truly puts you in the moment, I define as meditation.
0: Um, I never thought that. Like, I always thought meditating was sitting. Skill that you have to practice at where you're quiet and you learn to quiet the things around you, including your mind. Never thought of it as like doing something and zone out though.
1: Yeah, I think, well, that flow state. Have you ever heard of flow state? No, what's that? Where people, there's people who write about flow state, but it's this like when you are so involved in an activity that you are like truly engaged with and it's something that has your full attention you can enter into this flow state and writing was that thing for me like there were just times where like i could just i would just get into that flow state and things would just pour out of me because i'm like fully focused on this one thing so i look at flow state as like when you're truly giving your 100 percent attention to signing yeah that's a meditation for you yeah i really don't think paint by numbers lately side note has been like my addiction I get in such oh, yeah, you did, you did I much. love them I have never like zoned out so hardcore like I do with paint by numbers I just like focus I just love it I recommend yeah, it to probably anyone yeah that's how I feel
0: when I draw is the paint by numbers that's a really good one actually I never thought about that yeah that would
1: definitely yeah that could be a form of meditation mm-hmm. especially with the use of color and stuff like that that's a painting right? yeah and they turn out beautiful like you don't have to be like an artist to, like these things. So
0: that's cool. So those are real steps that you can use. Do you have any other advice for someone who's maybe considering killing themselves or has recently tried on what they can do, who they can reach out to, or something you you either did or wish you would have done Um, differently
1: looking back at it to prevent the rock bottom? Gosh, I mean, that's so hard. I definitely find yourself A circle and I know that that's so that's easier said than done but I mean as much as social media has a negative connotation I definitely think it is such a tool in the way that you can find a group of people that relate to you and not just like a cog what's the cognitive bias like what's that thing where people get into where it's like you're just listening to what you want to hear Ooh, either cognitive bias validation yeah, it's something like that, but... Oh, that's going to bother me. Social media can be that, but social media can... You can also just find... You can just find humans in the world that are going through certain things that you resonate with and who want to connect. Who want to connect, and you can just send them a message. I mean, we've never... It's the one thing that I love about social media, or just technology, is... We have so many people at our fingertips where we never would have been able to interact with them before because we didn't know they existed. Like, yeah, you can send a letter to someone, but you have to know them first before you can do that. Now, you can scroll through someone's life and just see what they're, I mean, obviously they gotta be vulnerable in some sense. Like, it's not just the surface level pages that you come across, but like, there are tr- there are deep people out there that are like bearing. Oh, I know just their life and I mean that was so helpful to me I had a I created a whole sober community through social media you
0: did I from the outside looking in how I saw you coping with your sobriety and healing from what had happened is you threw yourself into your writing page yeah like you started like writing for other blogs and magazines and speaking engagements and stuff like that and that's not something that you were doing before and you started making content and making sure you were posting multiple times a day. And it was, that's how I saw, that was the reassurance that I had that, all right, she wouldn't be putting this much effort into this if she wasn't taking it seriously.
1: Yeah, and it definitely took a lot of energy. That blog, a lot. like I was adamant on it. I posted a new article like once a week at the same time. I made sure, like it took me a lot, to- a lot of time throughout the week to like put that together, get my thoughts together. So- It was a lot. You, I would text you be like, what are you doing? You'd be like writing or getting something ready for this post and yeah. I don't know how you had time to do it all. Yeah, now looking back, I'm like, God, how did I do it? But it was that healing period in Jacksonville that I had where it was like, I had that, that's, that I think was necessary to the healing journey. Like I think that was just, that was one of those stepping stones in my story that got me to where I am today. Like I needed to get all of those words out of me And now, not that I don't like writing, I I still love writing. There's still a part of me that loves, like, the art of it. But the type of writing now, I just, I don't know. I I got, not that I got tired of talking about my story, but I thought that I was just keeping traumas alive to a certain extent. Like, I had coped. With those things and I no longer felt the need to talk about them because after a certain extent it started to weigh on me again. And it was just like, when am I gonna stop reliving this you stuff did, over and over a new again? You inspiration because you were probably
0: starting to associate yeah. writing with having to revisit something. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel that. I could see that. But now you have a new and exciting chapter Mm-hmm. which is going to be motherhood, which I wouldn't be surprised if you started writing again because that's going to be, like I've told you before, a whole new level of your brain is about to open up. Yeah. So I would not be surprised if you started. A mommy bog. Something <laughs> shit like that. How has this experience using real-life adjectives made you a better person, a better family member, family member, a better friend, better daughter, a better partner to Daniel. How has that experience made you better?
1: I would say in my everyday life, I really don't think that I get like angry anymore. And I think that's because like, I literally look at every situation and traffic is a great way for you to practice this within your own life. I would say like it's constantly something that I do as well. Like those, Little things that happen within traffic, if you overreact or you have a strong emotion to traffic, it's because something's going on in your own life. But, and I think there's something to be looked at there because, I mean, people piss us off in the car all the time. I don't know what it is about being in your own little safe bubble where if someone comes over a little bit, you just like want to cuss them out. But it's just like, what is truly going on in my life right now that is bothering me? Is it work? Are you being overworked? Are you not eating the way that you know you should be? Like, it could just be any of these little things, but I try to look at every little situation, whether it be an interaction with my mom, Daniel, anything like that, and I always go back to being like, they are their own human. They have their own shit going on, and I don't take anything personally because it's usually never about you. It's always about their own internal emotional state at the time, and I used to react to that. Like, with my mom, I would overreact to the way that she was acting, and it took me so long to realize that it was never about me. She just might have her own shit going on. God, that's so
0: real. I feel the exact same way about my mom. I think that certain people in our lives have the ability to push our buttons. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I realized, and for me, that was just like you, it it was my mom. And it took me having a child to realize, and it sounds like it took you trying to kill yourself to realize that my mom is trying her fucking best. She is not perfect. She has her own life experiences that have shaped her into who she is. And she has every right to be who she wants to be and cope how she wants to cope. And I need to stop projecting how I think she needs to be onto her and then get mad at her for not being this person I've created for her to be. But it took me having a child to understand that and stop blaming her for everything and just try to love her how she is. And it's, you struggle with that too. Mm. I've seen you struggle with it. Yeah. And I think So you're saying that this experience helps you respect that.
1: Yeah, just with every relationship, though. Like, strangers that you meet, like, just someone who's rude to you, like, don't take that shit personally. They may have just had a bad day. Or, you know, they're going through, they're, like, on the verge of a panic attack, or you just, you never know what someone else is going through. And so if you can, like, take that second to 10 seconds before you want to react to something, you will come to the conclusion that it's not worth the reaction. Like usually your reaction is never gonna make anything better. So like what's the point of overreacting? It's only going to fuel your own anger. Just take that step back and just be like, you know, this person's human. It's made you more understanding. Yeah, absolutely. Empathetic. One more. One more little. How it made you better. Um, I'm so much more in tune with like who I am. I now I trust myself. I mean, that was ultimately my failure was just, you know, not listening to that intuition, not following what it is that I want to do in my life, building so much of who I am around the attention that I was getting around me. And now I don't do that. I'm happy with who I am. I know I'm on to something greater. I might not like I'm not 100% with where I want to be, but I mean, as anybody, we're all, it's no, all...
0: you're not supposed to be there yet.
1: Yeah. I don't think there's ever really a finish line. I think... No, I think it's part, part of happiness, and I struggle
0: with this too, because I assert so much of my own value with my job, and that's not healthy, and I know it's not healthy, and I'm trying to redirect that, and it's going to be a constant, constant battle, but I think how I combat that is trying to be so present and appreciative and enjoy the moment that I'm in. And I do it with my kids. I'm constantly, when I'm with, like, today at the beach, I'm constantly in my head, I I forget what movie it was, but they're, like, taking mental snapshots. Like, I'm constantly in my head being like, you have to remember this moment. Be here. Like, feel this. Like, how does the wind feel? Like, how does artists' skin Mm -hmm. feel? Like, that, I feel like, is so important. Mm -hmm. And being in
1: tune. Yeah, being present for your life is so big. And I mean, it's super hard. Like, especially now in today's like modern society, we, I think we are just, just told to, you need to be doing something. You need to be thinking about what that next thing is for you. And it's exhausting, but like really the moments that we cherish and are grateful for the most are when we are just fully present. And if we can find ways for us to do that in our everyday life I mean that's what we should truly be trying to find I agree how can people reach you Megan are you okay with people reaching out to
0: you and asking questions about this
1: yeah I mean that was I mean basically what I have always loved when people reach out to me so I still have my website it's healinghopefuls.com or Instagram is usually what people find me through that's where it all kind of started but it's in my own words. It's actually in dot my dot own words. We'll tag it. Yeah. So oh, it is. Healing
0: Hopeful is the blog name?
1: Healing Hopeful is the website, yeah. <sighs> yeah, but Instagram is where it started. And it's called in my own words, because I like write it in my own words. It was like a whole creative I should thing about it. There's so much I feel like we didn't even talk about either. We didn't even talk didn't about, about, like, about ayahuasca. ayahuasca. <laughs> That's like a... Another
0: episode. Yeah, she went and did ayahuasca, but that was so far out, long after that. That was more that was definitely a coping mechanism.
1: The, I mean, that was it more came addressing. at the time it had to be. Like if I had done ayahuasca when I first got sober, I would have been slammed against a wall. But because I had like four four-ish years of recovery work underneath my belt, it was It was exactly what I was looking for.
0: And this is a perfect example of why Megan being in a serious, committed relationship and knocked the fuck up when she did ayahuasca, what, a year ago?
1: No, three years ago. It was three years ago? Yeah, almost to the day. It is
0: flying. It was before Kenny was born?
1: Right before, remember? Because I couldn't be there. Oh my god, I was so mad at you.
0: I remember this now. This is all coming back.
1: Not even just like
0: she went down to Orlando to one of those fake churches. She went to like the Peruvian jungle where no one could talk to her and ate oatmeal for like five days. It before was it. not
1: oatmeal. Whatever
0: you ate like like <laughs> tree bark for five days before, so she could
1: feel the ayahuasca. Well, you felt that uh, shit. It was intense. Yeah, it was beautiful though. I got so much from that. I healed a lot of my relationship with my mom. I figured out my relationship with death. Ugh, it was. It was yeah. I mean it was dark. There was a lot of moments where like I had to purge out the negative and I relived a trauma that I didn't even know that I was holding in. And that was kind of crazy because I like you like relived it. So You relived it? Yeah, so long story short, my third night, there's five ceremonies. My third night was five all about
0: ceremonies or nights. So five nights.
1: No, the whole thing was seven nights long. We had five ayahuasca ceremonies. So the third ayahuasca ceremony um, that theme of that whole ceremony for me was trauma and forgiveness. So the whole first half of it was me, the worst relationship that I was ever in. Like he was essentially a sociopath. Like, I mean, he was a really dark energy. Um, he basically, yeah, he like sexually assaults me and I relived the whole thing. And it was like, cause I kept coming up with like chakras are like, a thing, but I've never really like looked into it until I was like in Peru and my throat chakra was the one that was like blocked the most. And like each night I was like, why is my throat throbbing? It's weird. And they're like, there's something that you got to release there. And so that third night I released it and it's because he was holding me down in my throat. And it also speaks to the... I, I don't say true to myself. I never spoke true to what I wanted in life. Like there was a lot of truths being held in my throat. So my throat chakra was really blocked. Um, but then after I relived that trauma and I purged it out of me, it was so cleansing. Like I was in such a peace after that. It was, it's crazy. Like I can't, are you aware, when
0: okay. When you're reliving it, are you aware you're reliving it, or do you feel like you're there? Like how how in are you in and out of the
1: reality? I mean, you basically put yourself back into that scenario. So I imagined him being over me, holding my throat down. In that, like you created that scenario, or the ayahuasca made created that scenario. Brought that trauma back up for me, and then like I picked this. Well, that was just the trauma that I was holding down. So it came up and then once I realized, forgave the situation and purged it out of me is when I was truly like healed from that scenario. I feel like that energy that I was holding inside of me really was holding me back from a certain type of healing so intense i wonder if one day i'll be in a place where i can do that i
0: don't know was it a spiritual experience other than just like a literal
1: very spiritual yeah forgiving. i mean they have atheists that go down there and they believe in something when they leave like it's yeah I definitely it's believe that in powerful god. of a, of a I, thing
0: i'm concerned if whether that would help me believe more in god or if that would retract me in my faith but that's a fascinating that's a journey i'd
1: think so because it goes off of your own conscious state so you do project into the ceremonies what your own internal beliefs are as well so i don't think it's going to sway you i think when i say an atheist went there and left believing in something it's because the energy that you see and feel within people literally being moved around the room and just watching people truly like go through shit. It's hard not to believe in something. Like, you can, it, it was so intense, but it was just, it was, it was so great. And I, as much as I regretted the fact that I wasn't there for the birth of Kenny, I do truly believe that I went because there's so much more that goes on than just your ceremony. Like the energies of the people that go there play a huge part on your own ceremony because their energies are also, you know, bumping into yours. Like it's not just you in a room. Like you're in a room with potentially 20 other people and they're all trying to like heal like their childhood, their, you know, relationships, their sexual history, you know, whatever it may be that they've been repressing or holding back it's all coming out in one place so I just the people that I met there were truly incredible and I think that they were also a part of my experience and had I gone any other time it would have been a different experience it was just for me it was beautiful like I know some people leave and they're like I don't know what I was supposed to take from that but I had I don't know, I journaled a lot about what I wanted to take out of that experience. Before. I set intentions before every single ceremony, and I would, so each morning I had this process I would like write my intention down, and then I would go to this fire pit that's burning throughout the entire day, and I would light it on fire, and then when ceremony started at night, I was shot right into that intention. Like, the message and the lesson that I was like supposed to learn about that intention was very clear to me. Did he tell you to do that? No, that was just something that I like. Read about? No, it was just something that felt right to me. It was like, I'm gonna write this down and set it free. And it just, I don't know. How did you pick your themes, your intentions? Cause those were the things that I was journaling about before I got there. So I really wanted to, my first night was all about unconditional love. Um, And that was the night that I healed a lot of shit with my mom. Um, the second night was about life, life and death because I've had a few people in my life die um, either by suicide or a freak accident. And I just wanted to understand why death was kind of, I don't know, I felt like was kind of surrounding me in a sense. Um, and then the third night was trauma and forgiveness. The third night scared me so much that I kind of went light on the fourth night, but it was all about being like, in my body and focusing on that because I spend so much time in my mind that my body was just like, you need to pay attention to me. Like, feel what happens to me when you eat certain meals and pay attention to what's happening, me, happening to me when I'm, you know, putting you through a workout. And just, I spend so much time in my head that I don't pay attention to the physical body. And the physical body is also trying to tell you so many things. So even though it was a subtle night, I still took a ton away from it. And then my fifth night I didn't really have an intention, but I wrote down, show me all the colors of the world that I I'm, I'm just haven't been able to see. And that night ended up being all about creativity and laughter. I mean, I purged laughter for like five hours straight. Just oh, be fun. deep belly laughter for no reason. I was just laughing. It was so cathartic. And I mean, God, I skated end. on that high for like 24 hours. I was just like, it was. It was just so great. That is
0: awesome. I never, I guess, you've probably gone through them before, but I don't, I the only one I really remember was the one with your mom. But that's the laughter one you've told me about, but I didn't
1: realize that was the last day, which is a great day to end on. Yeah, it was. And But the whole energy of the people that were there, too, ended on a positive note. So and everyone was laughing? Not everyone was laughing, but it was almost like everyone had their own full circle kind of that night. And it's not always that way. It really depends on, you know, what people are bringing to the table. But I think our group of people were just at a time in their lives where healing was just like essential to them. And not that people who don't go down there, it's not essential to them, but I just, I think they were ready in a different level, if that makes sense. I definitely feel like that entire process and experience you have to know
0: you're
2: ready for. It.
1: Yeah. But if ayahuasca has ever spoken to you in any sense, I do think there's a reason for that. I think that not everyone, like, I do think everyone could benefit from ayahuasca, but I don't think everyone is ready for it. Like, I, my mom was like, when I, she picked me up from the airport and she was like, I can see a lightness about you. Like, it makes me want to do it. But like, my mom is someone who would not be ready for ayahuasca.
0: No. I know I'm not ready for ayahuasca. I actually know very little about it. But I just, I know... Like, I've done shrooms before, and I know that I have a really hard time leaving. My mind tends to go, when I alter it, it tends to go to bad places. And then I have trouble getting out of them. And I just picture ayahuasca being, like, five
1: nights of me just fucking bawling. And that does not sound fun. I don't think... That's why... Well, at least for me, that's why the intentions really helped. Because I went in with a certain mindset. It helped guide the journey... Um, but the end was kind of like a free for all. I was like, show me, you know, this is the last night. Kind of show me what I need to see. That could have gone two ways, could But I mean, I, you, when you're going down there for ayahuasca, you should be going down with like, I'm ready. Like, pe- not everyone just flies to Peru to do. It's no. usually, and that was cool about it too. Everyone was from all over the world. Like, I have, I used to have so many different pen pals. Like, I love pen pals, but eventually people fall off of that. Uh, I still talk to them through the social media and stuff, but I just thought that was so cool. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Thank you for coming and speaking about all your bullshit, (laughs) and then including me in all your bullshit, and then also teaching me more about all your bullshit, which I didn't even know. There's so much shared tonight that I did not know. And I think it's because it's easier to talk in a platform like this than it is to actually talk about them in a one-on-one setting because we had a reason to talk about it right yeah. there would be no reason for us to go to dinner and just be like oh yeah tell me more remember that time you tried to kill yourself but well, let's revisit that <laughs> one more time um but thank you and i'm glad people uh please reach out to megan she has so many tidbits of lifelong information. She's a really deep person to the point where sometimes it's a little bit frustrating. (laughs) Um, Especially when it comes to ayahuasca, we didn't spend near as much time as we could have talking about that, but that was a huge part of your recovery, but that came later in your recovery. I would say you're gonna recover the rest of your life, but ayahuasca, I almost feel like put the cap on like the potential of you ever having a major relapse. Like, I just feel like that was like the,
1: no, yeah? I mean I, yeah, I like to think so. I I mean it's been it'll be seven years this year. Like it's, it's I can't believe how long it's been since, yeah, I've removed all of the the toxic stuff from yeah, my life. But for sure. I mean, my life has I don't know, the things that have happened in my life since then, there's no reason for me to like want to go back. No. So it's like a
0: whole it doesn't even feel like that is
1: you that went through those
0: things. It is you, but it just feels like so many worlds ago that that
1: happens. I just don't like saying never say never because it like belittles the power of, you know, addiction, Um, just the power that it can take. You never know what could trigger it, Um, like a death or just a situation that could like make you want that. But again, my rock bottom was so, that was my rock bottom. Like you hit, you keep hitting rock bottoms until you finally hit that one that you're like, "There, there can't be another one Unless you never do, and eventually it's you know it is the thing that yeah is the end. Well, I'm happy that that was your rock bottom and did not get rockier because I don't know where else it would have.
0: Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty rocky. But all right, I love you. I love you. (laughs) Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll be back next week. If you have any questions, she's here. We'll tag her in the post, and if you guys want to come on, send me a link.
1: All right, that was a long one. how long was that
2: oh Oh my God. god
1: is that bad